Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I am your host, Connor Carrick, a professional hockey player and podcaster by trade, a curious learner by choice. Together, we will investigate career design. How successful can I become in sport? And with what quality of life alongside this goal can I experience? The four areas of focus on this podcast are physical expression, mental athleticism, spiritual growth, and experiential wisdom. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I am your host, Connor Kerr, currently playing uh, with the Providence Bruins. Uh, welcome back. It's been a couple months. I uh, We bought a new house this summer. Charlie is in that magical age where he'll be turning two, and I uh, lost my rhythm. I, uh, With all the focus in my life with hockey, I was a little beyond my depth in terms of homeowning. Uh, and, and trying to sort out the new routine this summer. Uh, and frankly, I, I enjoyed the break, but it's time. It's time to get back. It's time. Uh, I missed you. I missed doing this. And uh, together, let's go over. What do we got for improving our ability uh, to compete? For me, it's within the realm of, of hockey, but a lot of the principles are, are extend uh, across life, the different disciplines. And of course, consciousness. I think in order to raise the consistent ability of our nervous system, we have to examine... Uh, sort of our relation to reality. What are the stories that we're telling us? What is the quality of our physiology in terms of uh, how much energy do we have each day? What does our uh, sleep support look like? You know, hormonally, are we in a, a position to be able to grow or are we trying to cling uh, for safety as a, as a person, as a human being? So first off, let's talk about the Providence Bruins. We're off to a hot start. Uh, had a training camp that was... Uh, good. I think that there was some uh, puck organization and tidiness uh, within my own personal game uh, that I would have liked to have been sharper with. And I really have a lot of respect for the Boston Bruins organization entirely in terms of how clearly they value uh, what is important to driving team and organizational success. And then also casting players in the appropriate roles. I think uh, a lot of teams will buy players contractually and uh, not necessarily be aware of uh, their warts or not uh, acknowledge how important it is for allowing certain players to play into their strengths so that their weaknesses can fall to the wayside and kind of get drowned out by their ability to, to stay in their uh, zone of, of excellence. So in Providence, I think a lot of what's driven our success is uh, we have great depth all throughout our lineup. So there's inner lineup competition for ice time every night, for power play time, uh, for penalty kill time. And I think that that drives the energy level and commitment to excellence, certainly in practice, uh, but especially come game time uh, where every guy believes when they come to the rink that they are important to the club and can be the reason we win. I think that that is something that uh, the Boston Bruins up top, even with the leadership group, uh, I was amazed at how even a player like myself, someone just trying to make the club, was treated. Uh, I know it's something I've I've witnessed consistently come up in uh, the leadership up there, the Brad Marchands, the Patrice Bergerons, and before them, the, the Zidane Charas of the organization, preaching uh, and practicing the importance of uh, each and every shift within their game, which is played by all 20 players and therefore the importance of every player within that lineup. Something I wanted to focus on uh, 
kind of after the uh, initial introduction on how we're doing with Providence is this theme of being able to grow and grow as a person, grow as a player. I think that uh, these are the focus points of, of every player in person when they wake up each day, hopefully, uh, and, w- and when they show up to the rink especially. And a phrase that I've been considering because the this information needs to be tangible, right? Like the strategies and stories that we want to tell ourselves, the key words that want we want to use to to focus us or myself. I'll, I'll speak from personal experience as a player. It has to be tangible uh, daily, and particularly in moments of stress where there is a fork. There is a moment between I can come at this with freshness, with improved resolve, with a level of creativity that I I currently, in this exact moment, I don't have, right? I'm looking to lean into the next moment and there's a next action and a feeling in my my body and my bones that's going to accompany that and and what I want that to be. Or there can be a, a shutting down, a focus on the mistake at hand, a spiraling of angst. I don't feel it. I don't have my hands tonight. I don't feel good. I can't believe uh, I didn't sleep well last night. I knew I shouldn't have watched that extra uh, Netflix episode of The Crown or whatever it may be. Uh, And and so there's this fork and and that's where we reach into, where I reach into my toolbox. What tools and skills have I acquired? Have I practiced? Have I integrated into uh, my life and into my career where I can go left? I can arrive fresh. I can uh, improve uh, the resolve, as I just mentioned. So I wanted to bring up this concept of dig, D-I-I-G. How do we show up different as players? How do we show up better? I think the D in dig stands for desire. Uh, Desire in a lot of ways uh, can be related to a person's, uh, for male athletes, their testosterone levels as well as their dopamine levels. I want to talk about how I you know, tried to uh, support my consciousness by taking care of some of the subconscious processes at hand. So I frankly feel like doing what it is I, I want to do every day. Second, uh, the, the first I rather is intent. Uh, and I'll get into what that means for me. The second I is imagination. And then the G stands for grind. So let's start with desire. How does desire allow for improvement, allow for growth in a player's game? Well, I think it is the uh, fertilizer that uh, allows for the seeds that we plant and practice to grow into skills uh, and, and results that are accessible come game time. Uh, testosterone and, and what I've learned, uh, I'm an avid listener to the Andrew Huberman podcast, the, the Huberman lab, and he has some excellent, uh, podcasts on testosterone. Uh, if you haven't caught them and one of the key takeaways I had from that was that testosterone acts as this like amplifier, the, this volume dial on a person's personality. So if someone is competitive and they have healthy testosterone, they will allow themselves to be uh, supremely competitive. They will have within them a, a deeper desire uh, to win or grow or learn or train uh, more so than someone uh, or a version of themselves that might have lower testosterone. So ways that I support that 
of late is uh, heavy lifting. I use that as a catalyst, right? So I may uh, deadlift or squat or lunge some of these bigger compound uh, bilateral movements after the final game on a weekend, say it's a Saturday or Sunday, or after a Wednesday game if we're not playing until Saturday, generally when there's two or three days between uh, games, which happens a lot in the American League uh, schedule. And that will act as a hormonal catalyst, uh, allowing me to access greater aggression. And that leaning into uh, where I, I genuinely want to train, I think is is very healthy. Uh, and then I will also support it with uh, what I would consider uh, stress dancing or wrestling. Uh, stress management is the term that most people use, but sometimes you just want to circle around the stress and not make it a huge deal. Be cognizant of, you know, man, the, the schedule has been tough. Or, you know, maybe that fight with my wife is still on my mind. And, and you kind of find a way to integrate this stress uh, versus wrestling with it, uh, which I think is also a useful tool. This connotation has a little bit more bite, a little bit more spine, a little bit more, uh, I am feeling down, tired, lazy, or uh, sad, and I am going to interrupt this pattern, and I am going to uh, take control of how I, I want to feel. And the best way that I like to do that is either through napping uh, or through meditation. Uh, I'm talking a lot about I'll give you an example. We just played in, where were we? Syracuse uh, during Thanksgiving week. We were traveling on the road. Uh, our hotel was particularly dingy. The heater in my room, for whatever reason, it released this like burnt plastic bag smell that cannot be good for my health uh, or longevity. But uh, it was extremely cloudy outside, very gray, very upstate New Yorkish feeling come late November. And I was walking to the hockey game at you know seven uh, for a seven o'clock game, so it was around four four thirty, and the sun's going down. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, physiologically, there's a lot of cues for hibernation here, for wanting to shut it down, go home, take a nap, uh, have some hot chocolate, uh, order Uber Eats, and call it a night. And I wanted to wrestle with this stress. I was ready to take it on. And I think some of this has to do with having. Uh, healthy uh, testosterone. It's something that uh, I had tested earlier in my career. Uh, for example, uh, when I was a Leaf, I, I was not as attuned to my stress levels. I was not as adaptive in coping uh, with things that I would could identify as stressful. And I remember our team nutritionist kind of pulled me aside and said, Connor, what's going on uh, testosterone-wise? And there were some other health uh, biomarkers that came back. There's a reason for concern. And we, we discussed uh, some strategies then that were more diet focused, but I've, I've rounded out uh, my lifestyle factors. In addition, I'll also use uh, different adaptogens. There's good research now behind ashwagandha, uh, not as great a research behind the dosage of such. So uh, please do uh, your own research there. And a big one for me would be uh, avoiding alcohol. I think as an athlete, you're climbing this mountain that is the year-long schedule, and there are ways uh, to take a step forward, and alcohol is an easy one to take multiple steps back. I simply can't afford week in, week out uh, to be 
dealing from a place of uh, higher cortisol levels, which alcohol fosters, killing off good uh, gut microbiota, which alcohol does. Uh, it's antibacterial. What else does alcohol do? Suppresses sleep. I don't think anyone argues that a good night's sleep uh, is uh, poor for athletic performance. It is a it is very supportive of that, and so we want to be supportive of proper sleep, and, and alcohol conflicts with that. And then, I, I this is an interesting one, and there was a coach I played for in my NHL career who was one of the more demanding coaches, and, and there's a lot I would do differently than him, but one of the things I, I really respected was this sign he had in his office that said, quote, catch them doing it right. And what there's been studies done in uh, high-level athletes, uh, professional athletes, where they will take testosterone levels after wins and losses, and testosterone levels actually tend to be higher after winning big matches, despite the physiological stress of having to actually play in the game or the match. And it allows for where the nervous system leans into the success and starts to believe that uh, it, the effort going into the match or the game is, is allowing for this growth and this win. And there's all this uh, communal support. And, you know, maybe mom and dad calls me and says, you know, Connor, you're playing great. You know, see, I score a big goal. My, my teammates are, you know, giving me knocks as we're coming in the, into the locker room. And my nervous system is receiving all this, this positive feedback. And, and the nervous system cares about self-preservation uh, and emotional regulation. So if I, I have all these, these good uh, feedback points, data points coming back into my, my nervous system, it will integrate that and, and actualize and, and lean into that. Like, oh, when we do this activity, positive can come from it. And so uh, in my video and things of sort, I think it's easy where, where coaches will focus on mistakes. And I think it's important to interrupt those patterns so that there's, a, there's an opportunity uh, to, to get better. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. But particularly finding success points within my game, within my day, and circling them, starring them, highlighting them, italicizing them uh, to remember uh, what's worked and to kind of put in perspective why I'm going through all this uh, from a, a effort standpoint entirely. I was talking with an, another pro hockey player recently uh, who's decided to, to move on. Uh, I'll, I'll, I won't release his name because I don't know how, how public he's being with his story, but he's moving on from hockey in, in North America. And he, he said a, an advisor close to him in his life, just had a simple question, like, what do you want out of hockey? And I think a lot of pro athletes are busy, concern, concerning about their stats, how their year's going, are they in and out of the lineup, how's their ice time, what's the coach think of them, what's the organization think, where's my next deal coming from? And they forget, they have this, like, how-to-play list in their mindset, but they they aren't always as cognizant of how they need to feel in order to be able to play that way. So this is a long-winded way in, in terms of how do we, how do I support the energy needed to grow, this actual simple want to get better needs to be present 
it, it, it is the fuel source, it is the fire, it is the catalyst uh, for growth. Now to talk a little bit about dopamine. Again, the Human Lab podcast, uh, I don't, I don't want to say that that's my only source, but I, with the full NHL hockey schedule, I don't have uh, the capacity currently to go fully into the neurobiology behind uh, endocrinology to understand these different uh, you know, molecules in the, in the body and brain and how they function. So I try to set it and forget it where I, I get the accessible, actionable information and move on. So dopamine levels, how do we support them? How does dopamine function? I understand that there is a pool of dopamine that if we consistently draw from it or kind of poke a hole in the foundation of the pool, uh, there will be a slow decline in the total amount available. And then dopamine athleticism also uh, relates to how sharply can you rise those levels, right? So so how um, intensely and abruptly can you call upon uh, the molecule of, of wanting more dopamine, the, the molecule behind wanting to provide tremendous effort where effort feels good and not like a huge amount of labor. Uh, cold tubs, there's good research behind uh, cold exposure and uh, allowing for healthy dopamine levels. I've been using this particularly for evening games, either pregame where I really having a tough time getting, you know, juiced up and into a competitive spirit before the game. I'll, I'll do a full body submersion. There's a, a few other players on our team uh, that will use this as well. And uh, I, I found it really effective. Uh, if I'm doing it pregame, I'll do, let's call it three minutes max with two full body submersions. And a, a cautionary note, I will only do a full body submersion if I know other teammates are around. Uh, this maybe isn't the, the focus of this podcast, but I think it's very easy to overlook the possibility of hitting your head. Uh, or, you know, a lot of athletes will stack, for example, certain breathwork protocols with cold tubs or hot tubs or saunas. And anytime we're gonna be going underwater, uh, there's a danger for drowning. So uh, just a cautionary note, any athletes out there, any people out there, looking to integrate cold tubs. If you are going to dunk, be very careful where you're going to dunk your head, the, the speed at which, like make sure uh, you're kind of aware of your surroundings and you have uh, some safety valves in place and that you have uh, someone to watch you when you do this. Uh, so cold tub, I'll do this uh, also post-practice two to four times a week and I'm aiming for 10 minutes. I'll gen I'll generally uh, divide this up into two bouts of five minutes. I find 10 minutes to be uh, a bit on the difficult side. I'm a little cold sensitive. I'm not as cold adapted as some of my teammates where this is uh, a little easier for them. I will also use a technology that I have uh, purchased called a new calm. Uh, I think brain tap is another one where there, there's these headphone uh, song light combinations that are supposed to be able to stimulate the vagus nerve uh, which is a you know very thick and uh, wandering nerve in the body, very uh, important for the gut-brain uh, connection. And healthy vagal tone has been shown uh, to allow for uh, healthy dopamine levels, as does uh, non-sleep deep breaths. It's another uh, Andrew Huberman uh, protocol, and the new calm is just one way that I do it. I put headphones on, I play a certain track, uh, 
and then I, I put on an eye mask to you know kind of darken the room and limit my eyes need to process light for a bit and I find this I'm actually gonna do it after this podcast I find this to be tremendously uh, therapeutic there's like a uh, an in uh, tran- and what's the term I think it's enchantment of time where I'll set either like let's call it 20 or 50 minute tracks and I'll set an alarm on my phone after just to make sure I wake up and there is this blending of time where my nap feels both very long and restful and and borderline sleep-like while also it feels like five minutes went by and and I was listening to this track and I know it says on my phone that it's been playing for 20 minutes and uh, I, I feel like I, I had a one thought or two or I, I kind of compared it to like laughing gas or uh, anesthesia. Yeah, anesthesia. Uh, when you when you go in for surgery and all of a sudden you, you think you can fight it off and, and then you're asleep. So I find that to be a very potent uh, tool uh, for rest, especially with as an athlete, there's always gaps in our ability to get the recommended uh, eight hours of sleep. I'll give you an example. Last night, uh, we bust back from Syracuse. We got uh, back to the uh, my apartment. It was like 3.30, 4 in the morning. So to go ahead and get a proper eight hours of sleep uh, from 10 to 6, like what's recommended uh, you know, by doctors like Dr. Uh, Matthew Walker, that simply was not an option. Another simple one uh, to improve uh, dopamine levels is what I would consider a phone break. The familial ability to get into a flow state, I do it at the rank. I can do it uh, when I'm podcasting. It's a little bit easier when it's a guest. When it's just me, I, I can hear my own voice bouncing off the walls. Uh, and, and it's not as easy, but eventually I get there. But this ability to get into a flow state at home is so easily interrupted by email onslaught, uh, social media, uh, and, and just generally being able to have the phone in your hand, in my hand, tends to feel cumbersome. It, it interrupts my ability to listen to family members. It, it interrupts my ability uh, to, to really watch what's going on around my house and just be aware of the trash needs to go out, or maybe I could do the dishes, or uh, Charlie is summoning me to play, and uh, I, I don't want to miss those things. I want to be able to be present for them, and so these phone breaks uh, are very helpful. And then the question, there's a lot of discussion in hockey around hard work, right? We have to show up and work hard. And I, I think that that's true. That comes back to, you know, what uh, desire uh, is all about. Like, are we able to, f- to fuel this tremendous liftoff, tr- to fuel the inertia of growth uh, in, in hockey and in life? And um, one of the questions I'll ask is, and this is I stole this from Tim Ferriss, is how am I making this more difficult, right? Because... The best of the best, the uh, skill very often that as an athlete I'm trying to acquire, yes, the athletes work very hard, but it is not hard for Patrick Kane to stick handle the way he does. It is not hard for Alex Ovechkin to take one-timers the way he does. It's actually quite easy. And so I will work hard to make things easy. That paradox makes sense for me. Uh, Try it on, see if it makes sense for you. But I will try to, uh, and this kind of blends into the second eye, the, the imagination component of Dick. Um, where am I making things 
my life, my career more difficult than it could be? How can I make this easy? Uh, classic case, everyone's had this feeling where their house is messy, my house is messy, my apartment's messy, and I feel messy mentally. I feel like the stuff on the floor is legitimately in my head, you know, creating angst, taking up space. And if I can just clean up one thing at a time, all of a sudden a tall order of cleaning the whole house becomes digestible. We do this with our food, we cut it into smaller bites, we chew it, we digest it. I think the same is for our goals, the same is for our day. How can we continue to make things bite-sized, make things familiar, make things uh, available uh, to be processed uh, because at face value, the task can feel tall. Another strategy I will use to foster desire is I will have variation in my weeks. I think the brain and the nervous system craves novelty, craves newness, while simultaneously craving routine. So in pro sport, practice times are consistent, our game schedule is known, uh, every athlete sort of has their own sense of routine, pregame, postgame. But where can I have little challenges within there uh, that are empowering, right? So I'm not a prisoner to the sense of the sense of routine. I'm not uh, making the grind any more of a grind than it has to be. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. I generally like to be very early to the rink on practice days where I have time to kind of think of. Okay, what are my equipment needs? You know, bodily, uh, where can I find an edge? Uh, and you need a time landscape that allows for all of those needs to show up because there's always uh, preparation for practice, for example, for a game that you can't anticipate. Maybe the coach wants to do video, a teammate wants to talk about a power play route, and now you have this routine that's being stretched or pulled or prodded at. And so, you know, just being early, kind of a, a, an age-old uh, tip for success in the workplace uh, is, is something that I'll subscribe to. But as an athlete, we're not always in control of our environment and especially of our time environment. So one of the things I'll uh, deploy would be what I consider like a, a shock and awe uh, technique where how can I, let's say I usually show up to the rank 10 o'clock practice. Let's say I show up at you know 7.50. How can I show up and turn it on like, like a switch? And so maybe I'll take a little extra time hanging out with my son. I'll give Hoagie extra pets on his walk. We'll go for a little bit longer walk, especially if it's a nice day out. Uh, bonus for getting extra light, which supports you know good sleep at night, which also supports healthy testosterone and dopamine uh, levels. And, and so we see how everything starts to scratch each other's back. Uh, but how can I, when I show up to the rank, immediately get into a space that is ready to seek and destroy and get after it. And sometimes it can feel very refreshing to just on my own manually take a small break from routine. No one will notice it. Coach won't notice it. Uh, teammates won't. This isn't something where I'm consistently, I'm definitely not showing up late, uh, but I am testing my ability to turn it on, which is an athlete, is oftentimes needed. Uh, you're, you're playing, I'm playing, first period doesn't go well, coach comes in, snaps, the team plays better, what happened? Well, there was a decision collectively to improve focus and arrive the next period 
with a level of detail and energy that was missing in the first period. And so how can I short circuit that on my own uh, where this is a skill I am literally uh, challenging myself with? And so I want to talk about this concept of burnout. And I would consider myself someone who's actually dealt with this now uh, in my career. I remember a certain sort of apathy in my career, a certain level of, um, you know, I'm just going to show up at the rank as I am and, and see what happens. And this, this desire to get better and study the game was really bruised. And so I, I consider burnout uh, to come from having to do things that we don't like without positive influences to refresh or without believing that these actions are good for us. So the nervous system will sort of collude to help you stop doing what is not good for you. Thereby, uh, if you're going to the rink every day, it's a grind, uh, I don't really like it, I don't feel like I'm getting better, I don't feel like the coach likes me, uh, or my teammates like me, or whatever the case is, uh, my body will, will back up this information and sort of self-sabotage in a way that that environment doesn't feel safe or growthful for me. And so my brain and body will want to supply levels of energy that discourage me from going back to that place. Not unsimilar to if I touch a hot stove, my subconscious will shudder the next time I see uh, a hot pan or a flame and recall there was great pain the last time you touched this. Uh, and so this is where pain points can arise in our career. But if we can have this Amor Fati, which is a, a, a stoic principle, this belief that everything in our life features a lesson, it's, I, I can be patient with that. It's not even uh, always obvious to me uh, where I am ever growing and every bit of experience in my life is, is, energi is energizing. It's, it's building this beast uh, for some sort of competition greater than even what I face today. Uh, and it will scratch the back of this confidence where it's like, uh, even though I'm not having the results I want today, I'm aware that there's a, a gap between what I am and what I could be. I'm still confident that I can get there. And, and what's going on today is actually part of uh, what's arming me for that day. Uh, I, I give the example of uh, Adam Oates, who I was a client of. The guy loves hockey. Uh, Mark Scheifele talked about it on 32 Thoughts uh, recently, which is a great podcast with uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, uh, more specific on the NHL schedule and, and kind of the ongoings within the league. It's, it's awesome. I, I love listening to those two. Uh, but uh, Mark discusses Adam's love for the game. I saw it as a, a student as well. Every time I called Adam, he was watching video. If he wasn't watching video, he had been on the ice. I remember one summer, you know, most athletes, most NHLers, if you're to ask them, you know, how hard you work this summer? Uh, how rigorous were you with, with your preparation? They would say, you know, I really got after it this summer, quote unquote, I'm in the best shape of my life, like every other NHLer coming in. And, uh, you know, how'd you do it? Well, I scored, I skated, uh, you know, four or five times a week with this skating coach or with that skills coach. And I was doing video here. And I remember uh, hearing a story about how Adam had been on the ice, like it was like 95 days in a row. And uh, I was on the ice with Adam in that, within that streak. And there was some fatigue for sure, but there was a deep love for what he was doing. His nervous system would energize him because it was a place of pleasure and play and uh, enjoyment and growth for him. 
And so his, his nervous system was, his subconscious was supplying him with thoughts, beliefs, and energies that would allow him to lean into this tall task. And I'm, I'm sure there were therapeutic uh, and, and down-regulating strategies within uh, his days. But how, how do you, a lot of success is just in showing up. Yeah, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I think a lot of the success is, uh, in, in career is being able to show up as your best. And when you genuinely believe that, uh, when I genuinely believe that my career and my workplace is a place of, of growth and challenge and opportunity, I haven't had these burnout issues uh, that I had had in, uh, in previous years. And the schedule's the same. Physiologically, the tasks are the same. And it's my relation to the stress. It's the, it's the storytelling and the mental framing around the stress that's become different. So that is desire. It's a big one. It is the fuel uh, that allows for the liftoff. I've said that a few times to, to be repetitive on purpose. The I, this is uh, a synonym of desire, which would be intent. Uh, but I want to focus on uh, how I view that. Like, what is your intent in practice, right? And I, I view, there's a few players in my career that I've been able to look up to and their stories are just a little bit more famous because they're, they're stars. But I remember Patrick Kane in Chicago being a playmaking pass first option. Uh, it was well known. His puck skills, his ability to sauce pucks to the backside, tremendous. He was playing with you know, Artemi Panarin uh, for a couple of those years, who was also a supreme passer. But at some point, uh, there, was a, there was a point production drop off in a power play uh, where situation where he was on the power play and penalty kills would sit back and they'd say, fine, you, you've got five guys, we've got four. You're a passer. We'll take away your options and we'll just sit back and sag and, and we'll get you open looks at the net and we'll frustrate you because you're not uh, interested or, or able to you know, beat our goaltender. And then there was this situation where the target really drew the arrow. The, the setting of sights on the ability to goal score was not something, it, it, was, a, it was of course something he had in his repertoire, but not to the degree uh, that Patrick Kane needed or wanted for next level success. Let's call it like 3.0 uh, Patrick Kane in the NHL. And a decision was made to be able to goal score. And then all of a sudden, like learning a new word and, and you start to see it on billboards, uh, or, or you buy a new car and now you recognize everyone has this car. Uh, as soon as you set your target and you, you create a new awareness, a, a new focus, uh, that level of intent will allow you to better process opportunities to execute such. And so this is something, again, when I was burnt out, I was coming to the rink with a level of entitlement, a level of oh, I'm good enough, uh, the coach just needs to see it, or you know I'm doing all the right things, I just need to stick with it. And these are sort of like ego surviving comments. I don't think they actually serve the long-term uh, career growth that I was looking for and felt very out of alignment for me. The second I is imagination. And I think this is the least underutilized tool in growing teams uh, or growing individuals in, in pro sport and also growing uh, teams. And it, it starts with asking questions, big questions like, how do I want to play? How do I want to feel? And from asking those questions emerges answers that allow for solutions. 
And so, for example, I, I think a lot about uh, skating and defending. I think defending is uh, the, the hardest it's ever been. Uh, there's more goals being scored in the NHL than ever before. There's more goals being scored in the American League than ever before. And uh, I'm trying to imagine what would the version of myself that could be the best defender, what would that, what, what is that, what do I look like? How would I have to skate? How quickly would I literally have to, within the time of battle, I, I've arrived at my one-on-one and the player is, you know, cocking their shot and, and the puck is arriving towards their toe. And now there's going to be a moment. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to be able to strike with my stick and, and slap the puck away or, or stab the puck away. Or am I going to be able to do a little mental calculus and, and kind of time? I know a lot of forwards will want to draw a player's stick out and then kind of toe drag and shoot underneath the gap, the triangle between my stick blade and my skate blade. Uh, and how can I intercept that? And I, I, I try to imagine, like, how would I literally have to think, what would it even feel like to be able to snap my stick out that quickly? How would I, uh, what would be the next play? Like even after I have the success that I want, uh, and I'll I'll give an example. Uh, I I think this is one ripe for a lot of defensemen out there. A lot of teams are playing the old, not the old, but the squash and slide uh, on odd man breaks because every team tracks so hard. Even your clear cut three on twos are going to be contested or ugly or late developing for the most part. There's always going to be an F3, uh, a high forward uh, tracking uh, for the most part. So with that, a lot of teams, as soon as the puck leaves the middle of the rink, it it ends up on the outside because both defensemen kind of cinch down on that that middle driver who's who's trying to hold on to it as long as possible, draw the defenseman in so that the, you know, weak side wingers have uh, more time available. Bang, the puck gets, gets kicked out. And now both defensemen are taught to like windshield wipers, you know, slide and squash and and contest the next play. The the board side uh, defenseman, you know, goes stick extended, playing it almost like a true one on one. Uh, the middle defenseman or the weak side defenseman rather will will come across on the uh, mid lane drive and try and come through uh, their hands to neutralize any ability to shoot. Or worst case scenario, be able to get it now to the very wide open third forward. Uh, for the other team on on the weak side of the rink on uh, the weak side. This play happens a lot. Both the forwards and the D-men know it. It's about who's going to be able to execute the next play. If we can use our imagination, a good exercise would be, okay, if I'm that middle D-men and I'm coming across their mid lane forward, a good defenseman will be able to squash and kill the play. But it's not like the play is killed. Like even if I poke check the puck into the corner, now there's their third forward wide open in front, and if they get the next available puck and they sling it to the front of that, there's an open player, assuming our back checker hasn't been able to get back in time. Conversely, if I am able to force that middle forward into a bad position, I'm able to pop his stick, uh, steal the puck. Now, if we press pause right on that moment and we, we extend the gap between stimulus and response. The stimulus is the puck got sent to the middle. I am able to, I, uh, with my skating and with my stick skills, separate that middle forward from the puck. If we press pause, I know what three, probably four of their players are doing. Three of their forwards are in the rush on a three on two. I know where their two are. 
They're both to the wall side of me. If I can steal this puck and avoid their third forward, now my team gets to go in on a three-on-two. Or better, even a three-on-one, because a lot of times that fourth defenseman uh, will be looking for offense knowing that his team's in a favorable offensive position. So this is kind of this uh, reverse uh, psychology component of the game where how can I take a situation that is a disadvantage for me, a three-on-two as a defenseman, and turn it into a familiar situation that can drive momentum and offensive zone time for my team? And so if I'm able to uh, imagine how that play can go down over and over and over, all of a sudden I have a new pattern available for execution come game time. And this is something I've included in my game. I'm not gatekeeping this. I'm, I'm kind of shedding some light on this tactic in my game, uh, particularly for any young defenseman out there. Uh, how can you, how can I continually imagine what better would feel like? And, and uh, the example I'll give is, you know, the Austin Matthews left foot, right foot, a uh, big sweeping toe drag shot, you know, where he kind of lunges into his stick. There's a tremendous amount of torque. And he wires the puck under the bar with a wrist shot from distance, which is something that a lot of scorers, uh, even the best scorers in the world, don't do. NHL goalies are supremely good. Uh, wrist shots have historically only been so hard or so deceptive. Uh, but Austin is hypermobile, uh, both in his you know limbs. He, he is, is very stable through uh, the, the spine of his body, allowing him to create tremendous torque on his stick. And he also has a very long reach. He's a big man. Um, and this is a shot that he's worked on. So before Austin, no one was scoring this way. Now with Austin coming in the league, we're seeing more and more forwards. You know, I, I check on uh, you know Twitter all the time. Connor Bedard's wiring a new shot under the bar. Uh, Cole Caulfield uh, has this shot in his bag. And all of a sudden, the next generation, because they're going to be able to see it and, and imagine what that shot might feel like, will be able to have this as a part of their nervous system, as a part of their game, as a part of their skill set. I use those uh, phrases interchangeably. Uh, and I believe the imagination component to be the very most important component of that learning state necessary uh, to create that integration. So those first three, the D, the I, and the I in DIG, are how to feel like pursuing your goals and, and how to pursue your, goal, your goals or my goals when I feel like them, when you feel like them, when we feel like them. The, D, the, the G, rather, is for grind. And I think that, you know, if we're building a home for our career, if we're, if we're building a foundation, you need both a, a floor and a ceiling. We talked a lot about pursuing that ceiling. How do we get better? How do we continue to achieve our dreams? How do we have a career year? Uh, and in order to build out a solid foundation and a strong floor, we have to allow for the realism that injuries are going to happen. Uh, sickness is going to happen. Nights where I get on the ice and I just don't feel good. I, I call the NHL like a, a, a B minus to B league because every player 
the, the, the core of what you present for your NHL 82 game season will be your B game. That will be what teams pay you off of. That will be kind of how your season goes is how effective can your B game be? Uh, because you, if, if the NHL season is a bell curve, you know, let's say 10 games, you feel terrible, like just totally not yourself. Feel like you tied your skates on the wrong feet. You, your stick doesn't feel right. Feels too long. Feels too short. The curve sucks. You're changing colors of your tape. You're trying all sorts of stuff. Those games do happen. So that's ten games. Now let's throw ten games where you got your A plus. You're a high step in warm up. You got the Mike Madonna jersey flap. Uh, the, the puck feels like a yo yo. Uh, everything about your night. Uh, you feel primed to to get after it. And, may, and maybe the better players of the of the league. Uh, have a a little bit different version of this bell curve, but that leaves sixty games in the middle, which we can classify as your your B game, um, or or maybe your A minus to to you know sugarcoat it a little bit, and so every successful person, uh, whether it's in hockey, uh, athletics, otherwise, or business. Uh, we want to have a safety net uh, mentally where instead of dogging ourselves and spiraling into negative self-talk, we have a plan for when things aren't going according to plan. And so uh, I, I really want to vote for this concept that a professional shows up their best every single night even though that phrase best might look a little different night to night because we are human, we are not robots. Uh, I, I like to think of uh, surgeons when I consider this, right? Like uh, when a patient sits down for surgery, they are expecting and they need their surgeon to be their best. That is in my job description. Can I represent the Boston Bruins? Can I represent the Providence Bruins to the best of my human and athletic capabilities every single night? That is the contract that I signed legally. Um, you know, if you're, uh, if I'm in battle and I am a, a normal soldier and I am asking for sniper support, um, I am hoping that that sniper is on that day. And if they're not, then they're able to kind of get rid of the fact that they're not feeling it and do the best they can because I need their best. Uh, that is their job uh, to be accurate, precise, and on. And uh, you know, so those are two fields uh, of performance that I draw from mentally. And so to, to pivot from what all of this means, or I guess to culminate it, I, I want to consider I watch hockey you know, decently often, not whole games now, uh, just because I want to force my family to watch. I actually, Charlie loves it, but I will um, watch with the intent to learn something, to grow. How can I show up different? And I watch and I think to myself, you know, a lot of players, they, they kind of look the same. They use the same stick. They use the same curve. They skate the same. Uh, but year to year, different teams win. Different guys have career years. So like, what is driving that? And I think it 
is this ability to dig. It is able, the the best players that are able to change themselves and grow themselves have a tremendous desire to do so. They come to practice in games with an an intent uh, to to show up with detail and to show up different. They imagine ahead of time, how could that have gone differently? They imagine after mistakes, how could I have done that differently? Where did I go wrong? How will it be different the next time? And they grind. When uh, the, the situation is not ideal, they uh, forgive themselves for whatever mistakes they've made in the past, and they, they focus on their next available win. Uh, two players I think of, Nate McKinnon, uh, Alexander Barkov, both have had tremendous careers. They went one and two. Uh, I was in an NHL locker room, and we were talking about the two players. And our coach walked by, who's you know smart guy, a guy's an NHL head coach, and we were debating on who would each of us take you know one and two at this time. And, and McKinnon really hadn't broken out at this time, and Barkov was really on the better team and, and having better years, uh, despite having gone second uh, and despite Nate, his, his explosiveness still being, uh, you know, awe-inspiring amongst uh, colleagues of sort. And the coach said, you know, one of them can't think. And there was a little bit of a narrative that that was McKinnon's Achilles at that time. He, he was so fast. He was so powerful. He was able to outwill the game and hadn't needed to learn uh, how to best use his assets and how to best use his teammates. And now Nate McKinnon's a Stanley Cup champ and, and his game is so much better and, and he's so much more well-studied. And when you listen to him talk about his process, you can tell there, there was this target drawing the arrow. This was the, there was this admission that, uh, and props to him and building whoever's on his team. Uh, I, I mean that both for Colorado as well as uh, in his professional life, uh, the you know medical uh, staff that he sees, the uh, performance training consultants that he uses, the skills coaches that he uses for for video and personal analysis, whatever plan they put together, uh, they've had success with. Uh, and now I'm really interested to see um, the other side of it. And Alexander Barkov had you know kind of a tough playoff after a really high end uh, season last year. I was around the Florida Panthers organization with uh, Charlotte. We were uh, with the Charlotte Checkers. We were split affiliate. So I was under contract with Seattle, uh, with the Kraken, but the Florida Panthers also supplied players to Charlotte because uh, both of our uh, teams were using uh, Charlotte as the AHL affiliate. And the level of respect and admiration for Barkov's game from every guy that went down to Florida was you cannot believe how good this guy is. You cannot believe how big this guy is. You cannot believe how fast this guy is. You cannot believe how hard he, wor- he works on his game. And given some of the uh, playoff struggles last year, I am so interested to see how he's able to burst through that. We saw that with Tampa. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning had a, you know, the, uh, one of the best seasons in NHL history. They go on you know, to get swept by Columbus, and then they go on to go to uh, you know, multiple Stanley Cup finals in a row. And so in, in closing, I want to wrap up and acknowledge uh, some of this is, is wordy. Um, some of this is repetitive. Some of this is repackaged from uh, giants and mentors that I've had. Uh, play with this. What is a phrase or a term that you can write on your stick as an athlete, as a hockey player? Uh, how can you integrate this and personalize it for yourself. For me, when I've been having good days at the rink, how do I continue it? I continue to dig. How do I 
uh, rebound from tough days, I learn from it. I continue to dig. And I, I kind of have an idea and a feeling uh, about how to handle anything possible, so I, I think, that happens this season. And so a lot of this uh, has been from, I mean, gosh, I wish I had you know, sort of this, this clarity of, of mental uh, strategy uh, earlier in my career where I was a little bit more malleable uh, to the momentum swings of a season. And so this is kind of the, the wisdom of being uh, in my 10th year professional. Uh, in closing, thank you for listening to another episode of the Curious Competitor Podcast. Please continue to leave us uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you catch podcasts. Uh, hit me up on Instagram at Connor Carrick if you have any questions about uh, this episode or if you have particular guests you'd like to see uh, within the coming season. I'm, I'm still uh, recording portions of it, uh, so I'm very excited uh, to be back. Here we are. I'm very excited to be back, and I, I appreciate uh, you coming back. I understand that there's a lot of tremendous information and tremendous uh, entertainers in the podcast industry. I listen to many others. It's a, a form of, a media form that I, I really enjoy. And so I, I treasure the intimacy uh, of spending what will almost be uh, now an hour, the past hour together. So I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week here on the Curious Competitor podcast.